To become number one in the market is not easy. It's challenging and it's stretching you outside of your comfort zone. That's what I discussed today with Jason Ted, the CEO of On The Market. We talked together about many different things, but primarily about number one in the market as a mission, while listening is not just a value, but it could be actually a vision for the organization. And finally, how to drive change in organization. So stay with me. It's an amazing episode. But also let me know what you think about this. We're doing great stuff here, but I really would like to get your comment, either on LinkedIn or email to me at Andrea at andreapetroni.com. So stay tuned. Let me know because this is an amazing episode. So talk soon. I'm very happy to have with me Jason Teb. Jason is the CEO of On The Market PLC and he's holding this position since September 2020. Jason brings over two decades of extensive property and estate agency experience across both digital and physical markets. Throughout his career, Jason has held senior management positions at some of the largest estate agency groups from Foxtons to Chesterton. If you're in London, you're very familiar with these firms, of course, until 2010. And then he became regional managing director and the main market listed LCL, Property Services, PLC. But also Jason has an important experience in the property finance. So in his career, he's held the position of CEO of a private family office. And he also successfully launched, scaled, and exited uh, Ivy Gate, a private equity-backed boutique London estate agency. And very interesting, Jason holds a degree in psychology from Cardiff University. And I think that's going to be probably one of my first questions. But first of all, Jason, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure. Thanks very much. So why don't we start with the, with the last thing? I mean, a psychologist, you know, working in a, in a property estate market, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily unusual, but definitely interesting because, you know, maybe I think most of us, when we think about the real estate market, generally speaking, broadly speaking, we talk about maybe different sort of profiles, especially at the top. So we spoke, of course, offline a little bit about this, but what was your interest to move into the real estate market, uh, given that you have a maybe different... uh, uh, education, maybe you you were expecting something different when you were at the uni. So I'm quite curious to to start from this. Well, it's um it's a great question, and the simple answer is I fell into the uh, the the property sector. It wasn't right. something I consciously decided to to do. Um, I spent you know many years of of my um, my life studying um, in in the psychology space because that's what I wanted to do for a living. I wanted to be a clinical psychologist. I wanted to maybe work with the police or with the Oh, government cool. and I, you know, I had these aspirations to to be, you know, doing something you know really useful and engaging, and exciting, and helping people. Um, and that's was that was my initial plan. And I, you know, I had that plan from very early on. So even before, way before I went to university, even at even at school, I was thinking that's what I that's the career path I wanted to to choose and go down. Um, the reality was very different, if I'm honest, because, um, you know, whilst I loved the studying and I loved the research element of, of um, my degree, I found that the, the practice part, the bit of actually physically doing the role wasn't as interesting as I expected. And it was also a very long tail in terms of a career. Mm. It would take maybe 20, 30 years to get to the position that I wanted to be. You can't just graduate and then get you know one of the, the the roles that I would have wanted and so I quite quickly thought maybe this wasn't the right thing for me um 
how did I get into uh, real estate or estate agency was, as I said, I fell into it. It was random. I left um, my my degree. I started um, you know, doing some postgraduate work in order to be able to continue that. Very quickly um, got disillusioned with it, left, and then did a variety of things. I was, you know, I was a cleaner. I was working in a burger van. I was, you know, trying to find what I wanted to do with my life. And a friend of mine um, said to me, this was very late 90s, early 2000s, said to me, I've, I've just left a business um, called Foxton's. Uh, it's a London estate agency. Um, uh, it was maybe a little bit too intense for me, but I think it would be right up your alley. So it's saying to me, I think it'd be just the kind of thing you'd be interested in. Um, and back then I had no sales experience. I had never lived in London. I certainly had no property experience. Um, and so I gave it a go and um, I went for an interview. I went down to their head office and I started the following Monday and then it it carried on from there. And what I think what I found is that um, you know, originally when I when I moved from one career path to another, I thought, well, that's basically a few years wasted and I'm starting again from scratch. But it absolutely wasn't a waste. You know, the things that I learned during my degree and in my studies, absolutely, I apply now to um my my job now even but also you know previously to that in my estate agency role i was always applying the things that i'd learned to agency because fundamentally it is a people business it's yeah. a sales business and the fundamentals of psychology in terms of sales or anything else are are you know are standardized pretty much throughout every business vertical so it, it wasn't all a complete waste of time put it that way no, actually, I think you have an incredible opportunity to use that that skills, you know, in in your business, especially as a CEO. So, I think for me, actually, let me let me rephrase it. Maybe because I'm a little bit envious. Because if I wanted to go back myself and study, probably I would have done psychology. Even myself, you know, very few people probably know I'm a volcanologist from an education. So, completely different what I do now. And I mean, my experience has been primarily in the energy industry. So, mm. fair enough. So there is. A link with that but clearly you know later on you realize how much is important you know having studied something specific and then apply in in your own life in your business so i think you you're probably using the right way right now so that's that's great jason tell us tell us a bit more about your role right now and uh, and the company that you're working for i mean you started you are still now almost four years and a half almost three years and um, and actually, you started during the pandemic, so it's that's also interesting. So tell us a bit more about you, and primarily the company that you're working for, primarily you know, focus on the future that you are building for your organization. Sure. So um, I'm chief executive of OnTheMarket.com. OnTheMarket.com is essentially a property marketplace. In some areas, it's referred to as a portal. It is, certainly is in the UK, but not everywhere in, in the world. And that's essentially where... Our customers who are estate agents, letting agents and house builders, they advertise their properties across the country on our site. And then we introduce them to consumers. So we have circa 20 million visitors who visit the site a month. They come to the site looking for properties of interest for either to buy or to let. And then we interact the two. We engage them directly. Um, it's part of a wider business. So that that portal piece is definitely at the, the core of the business. but in the past couple of years, we've started to expand out into the wider technology space. And essentially now we are also a property services business that offers a suite of products that essentially aim to help our customers make money, save money, 
um, be compliant, you know, all of the all of the widest uh, services that are available. The property ecosystem is vast. There's so many things that happen before, during, and even after a transaction. Many people think about buying or renting a property as you just book a viewing, you go and do it, you make an offer, and then three weeks later you move in. There are hundreds of touch points that happen before that. And we believe as a business there's a huge opportunity to try and provide some of those services of what happens before, during, and after to our customers, again, with providing exceptional value. So that's really the, the business in a nutshell. And you mentioned a very good point in the sense that I have been here post coming up to three years, but um, my experience of interviewing for the role was all during the pandemic. So, you know, I first got a call. Um, I didn't apply for the role. I was very fortunate to get a, get, get a call from the, um, the party that had been hired to find um, a new chief executive. And I first got that call, I believe, in March 2020. So just at the start of just about the, the, the lockdowns and the you know the pandemic was really hitting home. I went through the interview process for the following six months, all of which was virtual. Um, <clears throat> back now it seems completely normal, but back then that was highly unusual. But I did the whole thing virtual. Um, I did have one physical meeting, socially distanced, of course, but apart from that, I did most of the interview process virtual. I was appointed from a, a virtual perspective and did my first three or four months meeting all of my new team uh, here behind a desk. Um, so it was a very unusual start to a new business, particularly as a in in the the chief exec role, which, as you said, I haven't had before. I've worked on operations boards before at C-suite level or COO primarily, but um, this is my first exec board role, and certainly with a listed company. So it was um, pretty steep learning curve, but. Um, I'm a fast learner, so I adapted to it pretty well. Well, I have to say, uh, first of all, congratulations, because I'm sure that there's, there was an easy journey for all the reasons that you explained, but also, you know, the first-time CEO for a number of reasons. Although there is a excitement, but it's also a challenge because, you know, you face completely different things and you have to, you know, deal with things that maybe you haven't done that before. And by the way, if I even consider five years ago, you know, going through a CEO appointment online, that's it. So it sounds like, no, it's impossible. It, mm. It's impossible you can actually hire a CEO for a listed organization, you know, just with the online meetings, which is crazy. Now it's like a new habit, as we said, you know, we exactly. all said that. Uh, that's interesting. So it, it's very clear what onthemarket.com does. So what's the future organization? I'm always interested to understand, you know, what the organization stand for, especially I would say, in a, in a market like yours, which I'm not necessarily familiar with, but we have this impression of very fragmented, very crowded market with a lot of companies operating, although with a different models in a different vertical chain. But what's going to make on, on the market.com successful in the future? What's going to really stand? How you stand in the, in the market in the future? Well, you're right about the fragmented market piece. You know, the, um, the UK residential estate agency um, uh, industry is essentially made up predominantly of small independent one two and three branch networks there are obviously some huge organizations some big you know international brands as well as well as you know, major uk brands but the most of the market is the smaller to medium-sized independent likewise in the services sector around the state agency there are hundreds if not thousands of companies um all of which you know offer um, a particular solution to a particular part of that journey. Going back to what I said before, there are hundreds of touch points that happen around the ecosystem. 
Um, I think our opportunity really um, is to provide an incredibly uh, cost-effective service, you know, saving agents time and saving agents money and our house builders too. Um, uh, we have a mission statement that I introduced into the business, I think about six months after starting, and that mission statement came from our teams, not from me, came from our teams all getting together and talking about what we really stood for as a business. And our mission statement is three simple words, listening, innovating, and delivering. And the first one's the most important, listening to our customers. You know, as as I, as you mentioned in the, in the, uh, the, the preamble there, I, I was an estate agent. I would, I've done the job for 20 years. That, In a way, that makes us unique because um, I'm one of very few um, portal CEOs to have ever been in the industry, to have been an estate agent. I think that gives us an advantage because I've done the job. I've run businesses large and small in the sector. I understand the pain points. I remember those days very well of launching my own estate agency business, opening the doors with no properties to sell or let no people calling um a hundred leaflets in my pocket and off we went and started to build a business so i've done i've done the job and i do think that gives us an understanding but that listening part of our mission statement is the most important thing because as many of these companies have got bigger and bigger and bigger some of them are absolutely huge we're not the market leader i think it's very clear we're not the market leader but we can be the best at listening innovating and delivering for our customers and you know, I do many things that around the engagement piece. You know, I'm I'm on regularly on town halls, slightly croaky today because I've just done five of them this week. So I I've done wow. town halls this week, and that that's where we listen to hundreds of our customers who come on either in virtual forums or later in the year physical forums. To we we understand what they want and need from us. We get corrected on the things that maybe that they would like to see. Um, they give us some ideas for the future, and it really is an interactive environment mm. where our customers feel that they have direct contact with me and that if i'm honest is very rare in this space so that that's our primary focus and our primary aim where do we want to be in the future to your set to your second point well you know we we are not the biggest you know up until very recently we were always called a challenger brand i don't think we're a challenger anymore we've been going eight years we're now listed on the on on the a market we've got the business into profitability in the last two years so we are a sustainable cash generative business. I don't see us as a challenger anymore. Where do I see us going in the future? I think we should continue to focus on other products and services that help our customers do their job quickly or more efficiently. I think we should continue to offer fair and sustainable pricing, which applies in any business vertical, not just property. If you have a fair and sustainable pricing structure, it obviously encourages people to be loyal to the brand and remain with the brand, even in tough times as we are now. And ultimately, you know, my ultimate goal, if I'm being blunt, is to make on the market the number one property search site in the UK. That has to be my aim, otherwise there's no point in me doing the job. But I like to think that that would be a byproduct of the way we operate our business rather than just chasing. I've said this before many times, just chasing a, a, a market leader or a number two doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't just be obsessed with chasing one and go after them all the time. You've got to do your own thing. You've got to earn, you own your own lane. You've got to differentiate in your own way. And if you do so, the byproduct of that may be in the future, you start to move up the ranks in terms of market leadership. So that really is what we aim to do in the short and medium term. I love that, Jason. I love it because it's bold, it's aspirational. And, you know, when I ask this question, not always, you know, you get the level of answer, right? Because many people, they play catch up or they play incremental. 
growth about what you want to do is completely different. It's really becoming number one. Otherwise, you know, what's the point of playing the game? So I love that. So what's the challenge that you see right now then to get to that point? So of course, you know, it's a journey. Of course, there is a gap for any organization to get where they want to. But, you know, where are you more um, interesting on in order to get to that point? So what, what, what are your efforts right now in order to get to that point? So you're right. It's difficult to for any business that is you know has started later than the incumbent or is on a growth journey. We we still are to some extent on a on a growth journey. Certainly in terms of the the, the product offering that we're delivering. But you know ultimately it's about differentiating for both our customers and our consumers. Of course, our our only big asset is our website. We are run on on the market.com you know consumers visit the site generate leads without consumers visiting the site to generate leads we wouldn't have a business so mm. the, the the biggest challenge is how do we attract more consumers to the site to be able to engage in the site when there is a dominant market leader um and i think there's a number of things that we've been looking at um in the in the short and medium term there are a couple of things that were done way before my time that i think were excellent but in in essence, it's all around exclusive content. You look at any business vertical, mm. and it's exclusive content that draws eyeballs. You know, every TV channel has the news and the weather, and you know, some political reports. But they never trail those. They never advertise those. What they advertise is their dramas and their unique content because that's what draws eyeballs. And we have a unique position within our space in that our agents choose to support us by listing properties 24 hours or more before either of the other two major portals. And that is so important for us. It's not contractual. They don't have to do it. They choose to do it because they want to support us. And I think that's very important in the, in the, in the overall mix of the proposition that we have, because if we had more of that exclusive content, we would attract more eyeballs to the site, and then more eyeballs means the network effects would build. Um, we're very comfortable with our customer base. We have well over um, 10,000 agents and well over 2,000 property developments on the site. So we're very happy with that. Obviously, we'd always want more and we're continuing to onboard more. But we think that that's a significant proportion of the market anyway. Um, but now we need to really focus on let's give a reason for a consumer to visit us as part of the suite of other property portals that they look at look at it would be naive to say we'll only visit us and don't visit anyone else you know consumer behavior has changed so much in the last decade that you know you can scroll between six different providers within a minute so i think it right. would be naive to say just come to us but what we provide is that opportunity to see things first and we're really focusing on serious property seekers you know you don't need 100 million visits to a site to be confident that you've got serious property seekers because in the UK, there's only 68 million people. There's only 27 million chimney pots, of which five and a half million are in the private rented sector. Another two million are with local authorities, another couple of million with housing associations. So there's only 17 million properties, roughly, that can, that can be sold at any or let at any one time for 68 million people. You actually don't need that big number to yes. be able to be confident you've got those serious consumers. And that's really our focus. We need more serious consumers visiting the site, and we hope to deliver more exclusive content to them to attract them. And that really is the power of focus, right? Focus exactly on what is your right target market, but also attract them and keep them staying on the website with the, you know, with the, with the right content. So I like that. I think it's, it's very 
is very logical, by the way. Great. So, Jason, let's let's shift a little bit more into your own leadership, right? Because you know that is essentially most of the part of our podcast is understanding more the life of of the CEOs, the guests that are coming on the show. So, from a CEO standpoint, so from more your personal leadership standpoint. On the other hand, what are the major challenges that you see, you know, about your people, about the culture, about your, your own roles? Tell us a bit more what, what you're working on. So the biggest challenge in any business vertical, particularly technology, is pace of change. You know, if mm. you look at what, what I've done since I've been in the business, you know, two and a half years coming up to three, um, one of the things I highlighted before I joined was that we have to change, we have to do something different. You know, the business had had done a great job to be able to get to a point of um, almost getting to that point of sustainability, got a good customer base, but you know, we wanted to, we had to do something different. And that pace of change that we picked up pretty much the first day I joined um, has been carried on throughout all the, the, the time I've been here. The challenge from that is maintaining that pace of change um, because you know, the, the, the whole concept of, to- of complete innovation and, and constant innovation naturally in a tech business is always part of what you do. You always have a roadmap that you're working on, what's coming three months, six months, nine months, and 12 months down the line. The, by far and away, the biggest challenge is keeping up that pace because you know, you're either a sprinter or you're a marathon runner, um, but we're way past the marathon already. And it's you know it, what we're trying to do is find a a pace that everyone can work to that is comfortable with but still is delivering new things on a regular basis so i think you know i'm, I'm often asked you know how do you personally keep keep going because you seem to be at 100 miles an hour all the time and I, I i am because it's by having that attitude that i can inspire and motivate my teams to have the same thoughts but yeah but i think the 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 answer is is keeping up that pace of change and also linked to that is you always have to look at the the competitive landscape the the Mm. competitors as we mentioned earlier we are not the market leader the market leaders probably have a bigger budget more staff um more work in r d and we have to not just compete with that but we have to punch above our weight in terms of being able to provide something at things that are different um that are first mover in terms of you know we have new innovations before the others and i think we've achieved some of that for the first time now our agent customers anecdotally are definitely telling us that we seem to be at the forefront of innovation rather than you know copying what the others have been doing but it's maintaining that pace that's always a challenge in ever increasing expectations on new product and service delivery ever increasing challenges in terms of cost base and you know cost of living crisis affects everyone businesses as well as people um and i think that that's one of the big challenges and by the way to some extent it sounds easier for a technology company, because I mean, you're working on is a portal, is a website, so it's clearly there is a strong connection with technology. So I definitely get your point of you know the, all the technology, all the changes that impact and to some extent, I suppose, not only your product but also the business itself. So I think it's it's clearly you know change in technology as a main as a main challenge. I I can get that. Um, in terms of, uh, by the way, how many people working for the organization right now? Uh, just under 200. Under 200. Okay, great. So how are you, are you able to bring in them into, into this journey? So because, I mean, people are traditionally reluctant to change, right? And you're a psychology, so you know this, as, as I know quite well, you know how the perception play 
you know, in our mind and now affect the, you know, the action that we take. So how people, in your opinion, you know, in your organization feel the pace of change in comparing to their job, their future, their career? I mean, are they just coming all on board easily or you find it's always challenging or you need to spend more time in making sure people, you know, follow you in, the, in this very fast changing environment? There's one thing that's constant in any business, and that's change is never easy. Change yeah. is always difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's difficult for a number of reasons. First of all, the logistics of it, you know, doing things differently, um, getting those new systems processes, you know, advertising strategies, marketing strategies, website innovation, getting them in and built and then rolled out is never simple. But it's bringing people along the journey. I think you've hit the nail on the head, Andrea. It's, it's about bringing people with you on that at journey. and. I totally understand that as a relatively new person coming into the business, um, I had to tread a very fine line about saying we needed to change and do things differently without being seen to be overtly critical about what had been done before. Um, and did I always get that right? Probably not, um, because you know part of me, part of the process of change is an acknowledgement that it needs to change in the first yeah. place. And yeah. You know, um, whilst I'm sure that you know we can all spend more time making sure that people are comfortable with that, the reality is, you know, in in business you can blink and it's three months have gone. So unless you mm. unless you keep that pace up all the time, then a, a year can very quickly fly by in in many industries. So I think it was about for, for me, it's about um, I, I refer to it as getting people on the bus. I use this phrase a lot. You know, it's it, we, we I've I've brought a new bus to the business. You get on the bus. I'm going to show you the journey and where we want to be at the end. It's your decision. If you want to be on the bus, please come on the bus. If you don't want to be on the bus, you can quite happily get off the bus. And if you stay on the bus, then you might have an opportunity to shape the direction we go in and the journey we take along the way to get to the destination that we want. And that really was something that I always brought in my mind whenever I've, you know, it's not the first sort of change or turnaround role that I've done. So whenever I've done this in previous businesses, it's always been, this is the direction, this is the journey. Are you with me? Are you on this bus? And if you are fantastic, you might even steer steer the bus in a, in a couple of months' time. Um, but if you're not, that's fine. You, know, you, you can get off. And I think that that element has been important for us because we've, you know, we've been able to draw a line under you know, things that we didn't maybe do quite so well before. I think what that does is it empowers our teams you know, I, I like personally to give our teams a lot of autonomy. Um, I do like to be involved and I do like to you know, get into what's happening and measure the performance. But I do like to give our teams and particularly our team managers and senior management team autonomy to be able to act in the way that they think is right. And I think empowering people along that journey, as long as they know where the destination is, is, is so important because if they're empowered, then they will feel more motivated, which means in turn, they motivate their teams, they share that vision. And then all of a sudden, you find you're going at a faster pace than you would have done if people have been slightly hesitant. So I think that that's how we've done it, it hasn't been easy. Um, and you know, there, you know, as, as we continue on this, this pace of operational change and strategic change, which we're well on with, um, I'm sure it won't get any easier, because it never does. But what we do have is a fundamental group of senior management and heads of department who understand where we're going, buy into it, have an opportunity to have input into it, which is just as important. And by them taking that opportunity to have input, they feel that they have some autonomy over how they act on a daily basis. And 
I think that that that's the key to any change management process. Yeah, and I like that. By the way, I like it a lot because, given you know the the goal that you have for the future you are creating to become a number one, it will definitely be an uncomfortable journey for people and for you too, right? Because you're stretching yourself so much out of your comfort zone. So some people actually will be very happy for the journey, and other people maybe will be will be not. And I think it's good what you said because one thing I always said is what to my client is. Letting people go sometimes is a good thing, in, in, you know. And I want to make sure that people understand what I'm saying here is exactly exactly what you said. Is if you're not part of this journey, it's absolutely fine, you know. If you leave, it's absolutely fine. And I'm gonna accept it as a CEO. Nobody needs to stick with a company if he doesn't believe to the dream, to the future, to the thing that we are creating. So, generally speaking, I think it's positive. People leave for the good reason. Let's put it in this way. You know. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, I don't. I'd hate to think that anyone in any role um, is is coming to work not happy or doesn't want to do it. Um, yeah. If you don't want to do, if you don't want to do it. Don't do it. Um, and you know, I I um, I've been very loyal to people in my in my career. I've got people in my senior team now who I worked with twenty years ago, and I've brought with me through a number of different businesses. Um, right. And I'm I'm super loyal to those people because if they if they show faith in supporting me and my vision, um, then I reward them in return. And now some of the people that I used to work with, as I say, back back way back when, when I was a, a junior manager, are now members of my senior team. And I think that's the right thing to do if you have that vision, that loyalty to each other, and that trust, that fundamental trust from each other. Then. I think that's the right thing to do. If you don't, if you don't want to, that's absolutely fine. And um, you know, that is part, as you say, Andrew, that is part of the change management process. Um, people will either want to be with you or they won't want to be with you, and that's totally fine. So you mentioned a few things about you know, listening is one of the major values, but also mission of the firm. You mentioned about uh, autonomy, you mentioned about respect and trust. What are your leadership traits? So, what are the things that you inquire, encourage, reinforce an organization in terms of values, in terms of habits that make your leadership particularly effective? Is there, in addition to what we discussed, there are a few other areas where you focus on as a, as a leader because these are part of your identity, your style that you notice that are super effective in an organization. Well, first of all, it's important to say. Um... Anyone should be constantly learning and developing their own skill set. You know, I'm I'm in my late forties. I'm learning stuff every day, so I'm don't think of myself at all as the finished article. In fact, I'll probably never quite get there. But that's how I should think because I should constantly be looking to to improve myself and my own style. I think if I was describing, you know, how I like to run organizations, not just this one, but the the ones that I've run in the past. Um, to, to start with, it's based on. Um, what what we call internally this is part of internal uh, description we operate a professionally informal environment and a professionally informal culture what does that mean um well professional is obvious it's um we are you know we are super focused on making sure we provide the best possible service to our customers but the best possible interactions with within teams as well internally but the informal element is important because sometimes as a big business particularly a listed business, you can get weighed down by the formality of corporate life. And I think one of the things that I wanted to bring to the business, and we, I think we've achieved this, is that think about what we are. We're essentially a tech business. Um, we're less than 10 years old, so we are a, you know, a growing tech business. 
And so let's get the energy, excitement, relaxed attitude, um, you know, friendly sharing of ideas. Let's create that. Let's not let, you know, the the size of our business, the headcount, the listed status get in the way of our creativity as a business, of our excitement and energy about developing the business in the future. So I think the professionally informal element is key. Um, how does that translate on a day-to-day basis? Um, I I like to get involved in a lot of things. So I'm definitely not one of those CEOs who, you know, turns up to the meetings once a week, writes a strategy paper for the board and plays golf on a Friday. I am the polar opposite of that, apart from the fact I'm terrible at golf, so I haven't played it for, <laughs> for five years. But um what what I what I do is I get involved and I am, you know, I and you know my team may love me or hate me for it but i will always get involved in any discussion that's needed i try and get myself into as many different departments as possible not to over take over a decision making process not to not to you know undermine anyone in the business but just to show that i'm there and i'm listening and i understand it and i care um and i think that um something i learned many years ago is that if you can't measure it you can't manage it and so we measure and try and measure everything in terms of performance in terms of every metric um you know in terms of the number of calls made the number of appointments booked um satisfaction of our teams you know how long people are on those calls all of the metrics we are managing and by having those two approaches first of all being professionally informal not taking ourselves too seriously um today as you can see i'm in my work clothes i'm not wearing a suit i'm relatively relaxed i i expect my teams to be the 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 same um we use language that isn't overtly formal um and i think that that does help to create a culture where people do feel more relaxed but then they can still focus on their roles and be more engaged with with the teams um i think the other thing really is you know many businesses talk about flat structures um some of them are telling the truth some of them probably aren't but the structure (laughs) that we have really is um it's flat Someone can come to me today and right. um and and you know I'm on Slack all the time on many other channels too. I can take calls, messages, and have meetings with anyone within the business. Um, there really isn't this structure where people feel that they can't interact with any of the senior management team, not just myself. And so I think that element is important as well, is that people feel that you know they are part of this journey, that they they what they are on the bus. So I think they're the things that I've I've adopted in my own style, um, which mainly is my own personality. I wake up at half four or five in the morning. Um, I go at 100 miles an hour, and then by seven o'clock, I start to wane. And by 9 p.m., I'm asleep on the sofa. That is how I operate. And I expect my teams to operate in that same 100 miles an hour attitude as well. And it, and it creates some real energy in the business as well, which I love. Yeah, I like that. And I like, I think what you describe is, you know, is be very present with your people, but also, you know, very flat organizations everyone can you know can come and talking to you and i think that's definitely is going to help or is helping already you know to create a level of trust and transparency whether open conversation with people right because they can have access to you um very very easily so well that's yeah. great that's great Jason. um last question about the about you as a ceo is a question asked to everyone because it's so fascinating the different answers i get to this question is what is the biggest misconception about being a CEO? So what do people essentially don't understand about being a CEO? You know, I mean, we know things about being a CEO. I mean, I work with a lot of CEOs and their teams. So for me, it's very familiar. But very people have 
their own perspective about being a CEO, you know, and not always, you know, with a positive traits, you know. So, mm. in your opinion, what what people don't know about being a CEO? <laughs> It's such a good question. I think that um, I can say this with all honesty because up until the two and a bit years ago, I had no idea what being a CEO was. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm relatively new to it. What I thought um, before I joined was um, you have an overall strategic vision. You get people around you, and you help to execute that vision. Um, and you know, really, it's a, it's about big picture stuff. Um, mm. The reality is very different. The reality mm. is very different. So, being a CEO for me in a listed business, you know, at least thirty percent of my time is taken up with you know investor relations or governance elements, or making sure that we're operating within our you know for, from a fiduciary responsibility perspective. Um, at least 10% is making sure that we're filling out the right forms at the right time in terms of our um, our statutory accounts and making sure that we're doing the things that we should for our teams internally, for our customers externally, and for our investors and, and stakeholders. Um, I, th I think that I was surprised about how much of a focus there is on, on making sure that The people who are engaged in the business on a day-to-day -day continue to be engaged. So, you know, a, a lot of my time, you know, I've already described 40% um, of, of what I do in just two things, but a lot of my time is is around do you understand, do you understand what we're trying to do? Do you do you get what we're trying to do? You know, I have another um uh, phrase that I use all the time: show them how to do it, tell them how to do it check they've done it those three things show them how to do it tell them how to do it check they've done it a lot of my time is about that it's it's leading from the front and demonstrating where i think the new product should look like or where i think the new strategy should be or where i think the new innovation should be and showing them how it might look even in terms of the the, the visual elements of the of the ux or design or just talking it through with them and then going back and saying are we understood about how that how that should be mapped out is it is it going to happen having regular updates so i think overall um i thought that it was about um sitting in a very nice office with a nice view uh in <laughs> central london and uh, and having lots of people re re report into me the reality is very very different um and and they're the things like that but actually um i would be very bored if i actually just just sat in an office in central london and just looked at the nice view because i i wouldn't be able to have The impact that is my skill set. My skill set is people and motivation and challenging people in a friendly way to think outside of the box and to do things differently and the speed of change and new innovation process. That that's my skill set. My skill set isn't necessarily you know pouring over re reports or uh, necessarily sitting in in meetings around things that don't necessarily on a daily basis have an operational benefit. Um, about main, I'm not very good at maintaining things. I'm very good at focusing on new stuff and new innovation. And that's what I've learned over the past couple of years. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. Really wonderful. And based on what I understand now from you, your attitude, your personality, I think I think what you just described as an environment, as a context where you're operating is probably perfect for you. So yeah, well done to you, Jason. Okay, great. So last three really quick questions for a quick answer, Jason. So if there is one single thing that you know you have learned you know, throughout your career, what that could be in your opinion? Um, it's very simple. Find out what you're good at and mm. make the most of it. And, you know, when I was in my 
20s I thought I was great at everything I thought I was in, infallible uh, and anyone criticized me I used to get very offended and say no I'm excellent at that too um, when you get to your 30s you start to realize what you're good at and not good at but you hide it and you you sort of you, you overcompensate for it when you get a bit gray like me and you get to your mid to late 40s I know exactly what I'm good at I know what I'm not good at and I try and surround myself with people who are much better than me at the things that I'm not so good at which allows me to focus on the bits I am that that's that's the most important thing I've learned be honest with yourself know what your strengths and weaknesses are and the sooner you do that the more successful you'll be yeah I love that stay really true to yourself and yeah. and we are the same age by the way so I think we <laughs> we got to the same level of maturity or understanding of ourselves later and not necessarily earlier so I love that Sadly, you look about five years younger than me. So, uh, no, no, I don't think so. To work out your secret. No, 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 I don't think so. So, we can have another conversation about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jason, and on the other end, is there anything that you would have maybe done differently in your career? Yes. Um, I would have spent more time thinking. And by that, I mean, um, for the reasons I've just described over the last 40 odd minutes, you know, I'm very much in the detail. My pace is. 100 miles an hour i'm always flitting from one thing to another um it you could describe it as a very operational um mm. you know attitude the one thing i think that i do i do now by the way because i've learned this over time but i should have done probably early in my career is have those thinking days i cannot stress how important it is to just you know even for half a day switch off the phone switch off your email cancel all your calls get a blank piece of paper and think, what is the next three months going to look like? What is the new idea? I have behind me here, you can't see it, but I have behind me here a whiteboard. Mm. It is um, rounding up 12 foot long um, and it mapped out everything that I did before I started at, on the market and, is okay. go, and goes out to five years. Oh, I've, really? got that, I've got that board written down. I had most wow. of it written before I joined. And since I joined, I've written the other stuff. Does everything get ticked off and done? No. Does most of it do? Yes. And having that time to be able to sit back and go, this is, let's think about things rather than just do stuff. Because a month flies by, six months flies by. And that's the thing that I wish I'd done earlier in my career that I'm very grateful that I have the time to do now. Oh, that's amazing. Great, great tip, by the way, for, for the audience. I love that. Um... 100% with you, by the way. Okay, great. Final question, Jason, what's your approach to learning? I mean, you said before, you know, you're, you're not done, you're still learning. By the way, we had a few weeks ago on the show, uh, Ravi Venkatesan, who is the CEO of Cantaloupe Inc. in Atlanta. And he said, I describe myself as a student of leadership. And I love that. It's a good mm -hmm. way to, 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 to build your own self-awareness about, you know, how much you still want to learn as a person. It sounds like you are also a learning person. So what is your approach to learning? So is this something specific that you do or you do as most of us, you know, reading a lot of books? If that is the case, what's maybe one book that really uh, stands out from your personal story? It's a great question. Well, interesting, I, mean, I don't read a lot of books. Okay. Um, I've only, I, I consume a lot of information, hmm. but I don't read a lot of books. So very rarely do I sit and have, you know, a cover to cover um study of a particular book it would be it you know self-help books learning books marketing or strategic books or even novels I, I just don't read that much but i do consume a lot of info and i think right. you know the 
the the the the fantastic thing about technology that wasn't the case 20 years ago um is that you can become an expert very quickly in anything um if you if you are interested and you ask the right questions you look at the right sites and so i think my approach is um i i agree with your one of your your, your previous guests that it, you should always be learning it is constant you're constantly a student um and i do that all the time i'm learning about different things different concepts if i see or hear something that someone mentions even if it's a you know some acronym that is an industry acronym that someone else uses a lot but that i didn't know even if it's another industry i'll find out about it and i spend a lot of time you know soaking up lots and lots of intel lots of information snippets um you know and i think that the the way you can do that now obviously from a from a mobile from a tablet from a desktop um, lends itself to my personality because i probably like many ceos don't have the biggest attention span in the world mm. um i do tend to want three bullet points and a paragraph rather than two pages of email um and that suits my personality very well because with you can take snippets and and little bits of information each time i think there is there is one book that um many years ago uh, about 10 years ago i said I think it changed my life. I'm not sure that's the case anymore. Now I'm a bit more mature. But um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by mm. Stephen Covey, which everyone I'm sure will say and everyone has read. But it's true. You know, I am not, um, because of my personality, I'm not the most organized of people. I have to work very hard at organization. Um, and I think that understanding you know what's important what isn't what focus on today what you don't and understanding how others think about that too um i just found the way he articulated that in very simple terms you know how to just think about your own self uh you in the way that you organize your your day your life and the priorities that you make for yourself i think did have an impact on me so that's that that's the the book i think that made an impact on me but other than that um if i can if i see a little snapshot i'm Googling it, I'm having a look at it, I'm reading everything about it, and I've become or try and become as much of an expert as I can about something very quickly. So always be learning. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, I, I don't know how about you, but, you know, I'm really getting really fascinated about OpenAI. And I think that is an interesting way for us as well to keep learning very quickly about things using technology, right? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's fascinating. We could probably spend a whole session on, yeah, on yeah, that. Exactly. You, you imagine the, and we're just starting to think about it in terms of our business. You imagine the impact that that can have in my industry. Um, and that's imagine, exactly what I thought before. Yeah, and and it's you know we we are you know we're not going to be the only one. There'll be others sitting in rooms thinking about this too, of course. But I'm looking at the potential of that to open up. You know, it it, it could be vast. It's very exciting, and I I probably play around with them. Um, ChatGPT a bit too much, but um, you know, it, it like like many of us do. But there's great potential. I suppose that that really is the the, the exciting thing, the thing I love about the, the, this job. I love my job. I think it's the best job in the world. I get to combine um, property, which is something that I've been fortunate to fall into and be very successful in, with technology, which is my biggest passion. Out of out of work, I've always been a you know a tech fan and a new technology fan. So I get, <clears throat> I'm very fortunate. I get to combine technology with property something i made a career out of with something i love doing i mean i think i have the, the best job in the world but the, the greatest thing about that is it's only just starting you know you look at what innovations will come in the next five years and the next 10 years i think that's why it's such a fascinating industry to be in yeah totally 
Well, Jason, that was an amazing conversation. Really, I love that. So where people should go to know more about you, your company. And by the way, you are a professional podcaster too. So maybe you want as well to <laughs> drive people to your podcast. Uh, well, thank you. I will a- a- avoid too much um, uh, unashamed <laughs> plugging, but um, you know, pe- people can obviously find about more about on the market at onthemarket.com. As I said at the start, we are a website for serious property seekers to come and find properties um, for sale or for let from thousands and thousands of agents and house builders up and down the, the country. We also have properties uh, that are only with us for a period of time. So they are listed 24 hours or more before either Rightmove or Zoopla, which gives an advantage to people who are serious. If someone wants to look at my journey, they can follow me on a primar- primarily on LinkedIn because that's where I do most of my communications. So it's easy to find me on LinkedIn, Jason Teb, T-E-B-B. Um, I have other social media channels, primarily uh, Twitter at Jason Teb. Um, you can follow On The Market on all of the social media channels, usually at On The Market. Um, and yes, very kind of you to mention, finally, Andrea, I do have my own podcast. It is called On The Record and it is out monthly. Um, and we always engage with industry figures, industry leaders, but primarily talking about technology and innovation in the space, both in this in the property industry, but also in the wider base too so thank you for allowing me to plug it no 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 worries at all and thank you so much for sharing your information we'll put on the on the show notes again thank you so much jason it's been an amazing conversation pleasure andrea thanks a lot nice to chat